Welcome back to episode 14 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. You can follow Matt at Red Sox underscore thoughts on Twitter, uh, and you can look me up at, at Deb Jake if you want to give us a follow. But uh, most importantly, Matt, uh, how you doing, man? It's been a little while since we've been on a pod together. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I think a lot has changed since the last time we talked, but I'm still doing all right. Yeah, definitely. I think the Red Sox were, you know, comfortably in first place the last time we spoke and uh, kind of rolling. And then, then June, you know, yeah, June happens, which um, was terrible. But um, the Red Sox are coming out of it a little bit. And uh, we have some really good news today to kick off the show. Uh, All-star selections happen uh, tonight as we're recording this on the 5th. Um, and the Red Sox are just absolutely flush with All-Stars. Uh, best case scenario for them, um, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and David Ortiz were all named All-Star Game starters. And uh, even two pitchers, if you believe it or not, uh, made it from the Red Sox in Stephen Wright and Craig Kimbrell. Uh, you can argue all you want about Craig Kimbrell being deserving of the spot with uh, the blow-ups he's had, but... Uh, you have to be uh, pretty happy with this, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're right that Kimbrough's probably the one guy you can question. And I there's a, definitely a few guys um, I put over, like Quintana or um, Osuna just off the top of my head. But either way, there's so many players that drop out that even if Kimbrough hadn't been named to the team initially, I think he eventually would have gotten there anyways. So uh, this is mostly what I had expected. And also, um, I don't know if you – don't think I heard you mention this, but uh, Pedroia is also eligible for that final five vote or whatever it's called. So they could get another guy in there too. Yeah, that's an interesting point too. There's uh, There certainly is a lot of interesting names on that final five vote. When I was looking at it initially and I saw Pedroia there, I was scouting out the competition and I saw Ian Kinsler's name and George Springer. Those two really stood out to me uh, as guys that I think will probably get that instead of Pedroia, but it's pretty cool that he's still even being considered for that, yeah, I, considering his season. I think Saunders might be the guy, to be honest with you. Um, really? You think he's going to make it, even though he doesn't have the name value? Well, I think Toronto has like a pretty crazy fan base, and you get all of Canada for them. <laughs> Plus, he's been, he has been pretty incredible this year, at least at the plate. So, um, I mean, obviously, I have no idea how this is going to go, but he's my pick. He's got a nation of Canadians behind him. So. Exactly. That's a scary thought. It is a scary thought. Uh, I, I think you're, you're right. He does have a pretty good chance with those, those nuts up there in Toronto. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, give the nod to Springer. I just think he's been too good. So we'll see who gets that last spot. But hopefully Petey gets it. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, there's probably going to be like three or four of them that end up making the roster anyways. Like I said, none of this really matters. So many people drop out. But it is unquestionably the best All-Star game in sports, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I think that says more about the other All-Star games. But um, I do, as cynical as I want to be about it, I do sit down and watch it every year. And I do really enjoy the home run derby. So, Well, we um, get some great moments out of it. I mean, remember 1999 uh, All-Star game at Fenway? You know, with Teddy Ballgame getting paraded around, all the players embracing him, and then Pedro striking out. Everybody that he faced in that game, which was completely electric. And then even last year, we got Jacob deGrom making short work of everybody he faced. Just looked incredible. So it is a pretty cool place uh, to, to see some of the best talents go head-to-head. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, that '99 All Star game is actually the first game, first All Star game I ever watched. But um, baseball is just more conducive to it because you don't really have to change your effort level. You're not hitting anybody, and so they actually try reasonably hard. Whereas the other games, it's just uh, nothing like an actual game. You know, though, uh, home run derby format from last year too was actually pretty cool. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember what the format was, but now that you mentioned it, I remember being a big fan. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Offhand, I don't really remember <laughs> what the change was either, but I just remember it being not nearly as long. Yeah, uh, it was really fun last year. I don't remember anything about it other than <laughs> it being really fun. Yep. Yeah. So look forward to that unknown fun event again. <laughs> um, that should be pretty cool. Um, yeah, and, and I guess the other thing is. We were talking about the other sports here, but just as an aside, but I don't know if you've heard or if you even follow, but football's uh, Pro Bowl has just gotten so bad that this year they have decided to even take it out of Hawaii, which I think is the only reason why any players go, and they're going to move it back to Orlando. Uh, Oh, Orlando? Yeah, there's like... That's where I want to go after a long season. Right. You know, all these guys, like... Imagine Miami players getting named to the Pro Bowl, being like, yeah, I got to go to Orlando. Like, ah, oh, crap. You know, it's just, there's no incentive for anybody to go to that game anymore. It's crazy. Um, so let's get back to the Sox. Um, two games out of uh, first place right now, back of the Orioles. Obviously, we're talking about this before um, the David Price start tonight is in the books. Uh, so far, he looked a little shaky in the first inning, very frustrating, his controls up and down. But the main point I want to get to is just where the Red Sox are right now this season as we head towards the All-Star break. Um, they've won 45 games so far, and uh, Alex Spear in his great newsletter, 108 Stitches, uh, that he puts out, uh, pointed out today that uh, last year, six of the seven teams that had won at least 45 games before the All-Star uh, break did indeed make the playoffs, and 70% of those teams have made it since the uh, induct- introduction of the second wild card spot. So what this says to me is that, you know, despite all of the woes that the Red Sox have had, they're probably more likely than not to still make the postseason at this point. Yeah, that's probably fair, um, especially given how much um, young talent they have to trade if it does come down to that, but. Um, I also, I don't really begrudge anybody for being frustrated right now. This has been a really hard stretch of baseball to watch. Even the games that they win have just been dragged out and kind of annoying. Um, so, I mean, I do think that they're in a good position. I think it says a lot about um, how watered down the American League is right now. There's just a lot of mediocre teams, and nobody's really stepping up above anybody else. So I'm not sure if I would peg them as favorites for the division or anything, it kind of depends on what they do um, to address the pitching later on. But yeah, I would say if I were to bet one way or the other, I would definitely bet that they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. That's just the thing. There's just so many flaws on all these teams. You even look at a team like Cleveland who just ripped off 14 or 15 wins in a row and uh, vaulted themselves into first place. And when you look at the box score for that team and you look at that offense, it's just like, man, you know, how are these guys even scoring runs? The pitching's been incredible, but they're pretty much the polar opposite team of what the Red Sox trot out there on a night-to-night basis. Uh, and with the Red Sox, it's just been so frustrating. Like you said, it doesn't feel like we're in as good a position as we're actually in right now. 
you know, at this point in the season for the Red Sox because the pitching's been so frustrating. Um, Spear in his column also pointed this out. I mean, David Price, Clay Buckholtz, um, Eddie, Joe Kelly, uh, Henry Owens, Brian Johnson, all these guys, every single one of these guys, and I'm leaving a few names out, have underperformed. The only person who has performed uh, above expectation is Stephen Wright this year, and the only one that's performed really at expectation for a guy who's getting close to a $100 million contract uh, is Rick Porcello. So um, it's just it's it's a, been a weird year. And, you know, another thing, um, we were talking, actually, so an aside here, uh, Matt and I met the, this weekend in Portland, Maine, um, for the first time. I was up there on vacation. We got a few beers together, and we were talking about our, our mutual uh, admiration for uh, Jeff Sullivan over at Fangraphs, who does a really good job. And Jeff had a column a while back. I'm wondering if you remember this one, where he described uh, people as like one or two kinds of nerds. You're either a pitching nerd or you're a, a hitting nerd. Do you remember yeah, that remember. column? Yeah, definitely. So. Me, I'm 100% a pitching nerd. Like, that's what I love about baseball the most. And so this season, even though the Red Sox have been really good and we've seen, like, historically great offense, the pitching has just tormented me so much. And I haven't been able to watch any really good pitching performances that I am I feel like I'm slogging through a sub-500 season right now. Yeah, um, I definitely get that. Um, another thing... I think is going that's going on here is we kind of base our or the Red Sox success of the recent championships, so two thousand four, two thousand seven, two thousand thirteen. And this team just doesn't look dominating like any of those teams did at um certain times of the year. But they also I mean they did look that dominating early in the year. So I think they've shown the potential to be like that and if they can get another pitcher they can go in the second half and make a run like those other championship teams. But right now they don't look like what we think a championship team should look like. So that probably has us a little frustrating, frustrated. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't begrudge anybody for being frustrated, even if I think that, uh, this is still a good team compared to the rest of the American league. Yep. When you're looking at it face to face, it looks a lot worse than it does from that, uh, satellite view. So that's absolutely the truth. Um, there are a few interesting things going on here, though, as we head into the All-Star break. Uh, a move was announced, I think it was maybe even yesterday, um, but Brian Bannister, um, who is really the head of pitching analytics for uh, the Red Sox, um, and somebody who was uh, mentioned on the show last week when we had uh, Brian McPherson on. For, for those of you who didn't listen, uh, to that one, um, Brian had been talking at length about the organizational failure to develop pitching uh, over the last few years, and I asked him point blank how they had, were going to address that. You know, was it a developmental thing, or, or what was it? And he said they had addressed it, and they addressed it by bringing on Brian Bannister to do this analytics thing. Well, you know, with all the continued struggles, what they've decided to do is take Bannister from that analytics role and move him onto the field in uniform uh, to be an assistant to Carl Willis uh, with the pitching staff. So um, we don't know how that's going to work out, but it's at least a really interesting uh, move here. Yeah, um, I mean, at least they're trying something. It's 
probably going to be another couple weeks before they can really make a trade. So you have to try something in the meantime. And I mean, you can call up Sean O'Sullivan and Aaron Wilkerson all you want, but that's not really going to move the needle that much. So Bannister's a really interesting guy. And like you said, I have no idea. I can't pretend that I know if this is going to work or not, but it's something and something is better than nothing at this point. Yeah, it's interesting that he has to get in uniform to come down to the field to have an impact. So baseball is so weird that you have to wear a uniform. It is just to just to do that. It is but. really weird. All, all the other sports, you look at the sidelines and you know everybody's in suits or ties or in Belichick's case, a terrible looking hoodie. And uh, you know, in, in baseball, you've got fat old men in uniforms just overflowing them, but. That's aside from the point, but uh, Bannister here, huge pitch FX guy, big data guy, uh, loves to factor that into pitching, did it in his own playing career as well. But it's interesting, and it makes me think of, you know, why why does he have to step on the field to get this done? And possibly it could be that they might be having some trouble with guys like Carl Willis and maybe even John Farrell buying into using that pitching analytics data uh in game or using it to make adjustments. I wonder if there is a bit of a disconnect there between those two guys or that trio of guys, I should say. It could be that, or it could be, um, Bannister is kind of unique in that he's a big proponent of analytics, but he's also a former player. So that puts him in a better than usual, um, situation to be able to communicate those things to players. Um, Farrell and Willis could be sort of into analytics, but they're not into it like Bannister, so they wouldn't be able to um, really bring it to the players in a way that's easy to break down and um, include in their game. So I don't know if this is why, but I think it kind of makes sense that Bannister uh, might be able to bring that bring that stuff to the players um, in a more digestible way. So a little bit more of a practical way, like, he, hey, here's how I use this in this situation, and that's how it helped me type of thing? Yeah, and um, even just deciding what to include and what not to include, like what's really important and what the pitcher should be thinking about, and then there might be some other things where um, you know it's an issue, but you don't really want the player to be overthinking of it while he's on the mound. Um, right. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have any coaching experience. I won't pretend to know exactly what goes into it, but... Um, I think there's, as much as we all want more analytics in the game, I don't think that the players need to have it on their mind constantly. And I think there is a right balance to strike, and Bannister is probably in a better position to strike that balance than uh, most other guys in the league. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think we, like you said, we probably won't see the the fruits of this until um, probably even a couple weeks after the all-star break for these guys to actually start dynamically learning some of this stuff and adapting to whatever changes he does make. But at this point can't hurt. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. it's a, you got to do something. It's about as bad as it gets, but a couple good things. Uh, Clay Buckholz is now officially kicked out of the rotation uh, for the second, maybe even the third time. I'm like losing track of the amounts of times that he gets kicked out. I think it's just the second time here. Um, he's going to head to the bullpen. And uh, also Joe Kelly, who's making 
his way back uh, from an injury is also going to be headed to the bullpen. So we've been talking about Joe Kelly to the pen for a long time. Uh, Brian Joyner wrote a really good article over at Over the Monster today uh, about that uh, change there. But I think these are both good moves. One, uh, Buckholtz, I mean, I don't love him in the pen, but I love that he's a right-hander that's going to be in the pen and going to be able to eat up some innings. Uh, and Joe Kelly, I do think this stuff will play up there. So I'm wondering what you think about these two moves, and are you feeling the same relief that I am that there are going to be other righties bearing the brunt of the, that bullpen work? Yeah, um, I think – I think it's on Farrell to use, at least use Buckles correctly. Um, this is a rotation that obviously has a tendency to get knocked out of games early. And for some reason, Farrell's been going like one inning at a time in these games and waste blowing five or six relievers at a time or throwing, uh, Koji and Tozawa in games where they have no business in being. So just keep Buckles. Buckles has been bad this year. I'm willing to admit it finally, as much as I love the guy. Um, Keep him in a mop-up role. Let him throw, like, four innings in a blowout, no matter how hard he's getting hit. Just let him throw the innings, save the rest of the bullpen. Um, as for Kelly, uh, obviously I've been on the bullpen train with him for a long time, uh, pretty much since he's gotten here. Um, I will say I'm not as confident as a lot of people that he's going to be a really good reliever. I think it's certainly possible. Um, I think when guys like Andrew Miller and Wade Davis went to the bullpen for the first time, uh, people probably would have said the same thing, that it's far from a guarantee that they were going to be great. Right. And I don't want to put Kelly in that same sentence. Obviously, those are two of the best relievers in the game, but um, it's it's not going to be worse than him starting. And he does have that big fastball, and if he can just figure out one of his secondaries to be consistent, then um, hopefully you can get a little bit better command and the stuff will play up in shorter outings. Um, I think it's certainly worth a shot and it could save them a lot of trouble at the deadline and not make them have to make a big move for a lever along with a starting pitcher or something else and um, save them a couple pieces. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it gives them a lot more flexibility in terms of not having a trade for that. If, if these guys do work out and I think at least one of them could um, I totally agree with you that Buckholtz deserves to be in that mop up role and it's a good spot for him and, we're learning this year just how useful um, seemingly unimportant pieces to baseball teams are. Your long relief guys in mop-up duty, your fifth starters who can throw to the tune of a four and a half or a five ERA consistently, um, but go out there for 200 innings. I mean, those guys are tremendously valuable to a baseball team, uh, and you don't really see it uh, in a small snapshot. So um, that's been kind of interesting. But one of the things that I really marinated on um, – Following my conversation with McPherson uh, last week was um, him saying that he did not think that Joe Kelly's stuff would play up or you know be any better in the bullpen, and I do agree. Like the guy's coming in throwing 97, whether he's starting or he's in the bullpen, I agree with that. But the one thing that I disagree with as to why I think that this bullpen move should work better is that we've seen Kelly and this is all anecdotally. I don't have the numbers in front of me. So if I'm wrong, you can kill me later for this, but it seems like with Kelly, he succeeds the first second or so time through the order much more often than he did third or fourth time through the order. Um, and I think that him getting one look at these guys when he comes in for an inning or two innings at the most um, is going to be really beneficial to him. 
Um, so I brought up the numbers in front of me really quickly. Uh, the numbers are actually aren't that different, but just by OPS. Um, I, his lowest OPS is third time through the order. So, but at the same time, um, he has been better in his career as a relief pitcher. So, I kind of agree that his stuff might not play up, but I think there's something to the fact that he won't have to worry about so many secondaries and his command just needs to be better. I'm not really worried about the stuff as much as I hate the great stuff meme that Carsley made up <laughs> and it's ruining my life. Um, <laughs> there's some truth to it and it's really the command. So if he can, if focusing on a smaller repertoire can help with that command, then he should be golden. Yeah. I, I hope you're right. I'd like to see that happen. So, um, replacing Buckholtz in the rotation though, is going to be Sean O'Sullivan as of now, um, we saw him last time out. Uh, he gave up just two earned runs. Um, so far in his four starts with the club this year, he's given up one, four, five, and two, um, which, you know, I have to point out is a better chance than what Eddie has given us when he's been up and mostly better than what we've gotten from Clay Buckholtz when he's pitched. So um, I think there's a pretty good argument for him sticking there. He's obviously not any anything special, but if he can just get you uh, through with five runs or less, I think it gives the the team a shot. Um, nobody knows really who's going to jump into that fifth starter spot right now. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez did show some good things in his first start at Pawtucket. He threw seven innings uh, of shutout ball, allowing just two singles. Um, but I kind of hope that they let him stay down there and don't bring him up right away because I think, I think there's still a lot of things that he needs to work on. He didn't really strike too many guys out in that game. Um, so I, I think if they do bring anybody up, I'd like it to be Wilkerson. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree there. Um, first of all, just to get back to O'Sullivan really quickly, um, I'm not super confident in him. Um, I think we talked about O'Sullivan last time we were on maybe or two times ago. Yeah, um, we might have. Yeah, he's, he's not good. You mentioned that one run outing. Yeah. Uh, that was actually a relief appearance. So he only <laughs> threw one inning. So it was run one run and one inning. He has not a 6-6-1 ERA. Um, even in his last start, he only gave up two runs, but he walked three batters and only struck out two. Um, so he's not very good. I mean, whatever. He can make a couple starts while they look for somebody else. But, but is he they, worse than Eddie or Buckholt? I think he's probably worse than Rodriguez, but at the same time, I agree with you that it's more valuable to get Rodriguez a couple more starts in the minors to make sure you can maximize that potential. So I'd rather that than um, O'Sullivan. I'd rather him do that and have O'Sullivan suck than the other way around. Um, but to Wilkerson, um, I really like this guy. I don't really know if he's going to be good, but he's just a really fun story um like nava he came from the independent leagues um undrafted guy he's come out of nowhere to work his way up to the majors or work his way up through the minors sorry um dominating that competition and the scouting reports still aren't great on him but it's worth a shot i mean if you can pitch that well against professional competition um you might as well see what you can do at the next level and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out you find something else but um Given their other options, I think it's finally time to give him that shot. Yeah, it's really interesting. There seems to be a, a bunch of divided opinions on him. So I think I probably read the same scouting report as you did, the one over at Sox Prospects. 
um, that broke down uh, what they thought about Wilkerson. And the conclusion there was basically a guy who could at most fill in as a fifth starter and probably most likely uh, a spot starter or a reliever uh, was, was their conclusion based on his stuff. But then talking to Brian last week, you know, he, he was like, at, at some point, you have to look at what he's been doing in AAA and recognize that, you know, there's something about this guy that makes him able to, to achieve results. So I, I kind of think we don't know. You know, we just don't know until he gets in there. And it can't be that bad. You know, if, if, he's, if he's Sean O'Sullivan, it's still acceptable right now, right? Yeah, I mean... It, you have to try it. The numbers are too good to deny. Um, and it could be something as simple as major league hitters are just that much better than AAA that they'll figure out his repertoire a lot quicker. But you don't know until you try it. And you have – it's either him or Buckles or Kelly or – Or Eddie. And Eduardo, yeah, or Rodriguez, who's just not right right now. So just give him a sh- couple starts before the trade deadline, know exactly what you have with him, and then go from there. It does seem like they have to make a move, though, doesn't it? There's just no way with them still hanging on, still just two games back in the division, with Ortiz doing as well as he is, with all these guys making the all-star team, six all-stars. I mean, Dombrowski's going to push some chips in. He's going to get an arm. Even We might hate the cost of it, but it does seem like he's going to do it. Yeah, I, I'm going to be disappointed if they don't get somebody because – the other thing that people aren't really talking about, and I get why they're not talking about it, it's an uncomfortable situation, but what if somebody, what if one of the top three that we're comfortable with gets hurt in the second half? And then you're really screwed if you don't have another arm in there. So even just to push everybody back a spot, you need to add at least one arm if you're really serious about contending this year. Because the other contenders are going to, uh, push their chips in. The UC over the last two months, that's when the good teams really separate themselves. And the Red Sox need to put themselves in that position. Yep, it's going to be interesting. I just hope it's not at the expense of Benintendi or Yuan Moncada, who we'll talk about a little later in the show. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, another situation that could arise as a trade possibility um, is catcher. And we've seen some interesting things happen there. Um Predictably, um, just recently with the activation of Ryan Hannigan as of, I believe today, it was the first day that he's activated, um, Vasquez was optioned down after batting just 226 on the year. Um, the Red Sox currently are going with Sandy Leone as the starter, uh, who's currently batting 500, uh, and Ryan Hannigan as his backup. Uh, I can't help but laugh about the last time we spoke together and I talk about my <laughs> irrational love for Sandy Leone and how I just felt like he had a good bat and we looked at the numbers and we were like no at no point has Sandy Leone had a good bat and I was like nah I just feel it I feel that he's got a good bat and uh you know lo and behold he's become the second coming of Babe Ruth here so biggest all-star stump (laughs) that's right you know uh pretty amazing but now, on top of all this news here, um, Dave Cameron over at Fangraphs released a pretty interesting article today uh, making the argument that the Red Sox should go out and trade for uh, uh, Jonathan Lucroy um, to add not only some more thump to that lineup, but 
to shore up the pitching and, you know, just really all the benefits that come with an excellent offensive and defensive catcher like Jonathan Lucroy. So I wanted to get your take on not only the moves today, but that potential trade. I mean, what did you think about Vasquez getting sent down? Did you think that was the right move? Uh, yeah, I do think that was the right move. Even if he's – I think you can make an argument that he's one of the best two catchers on the team right now, but you have to preserve that depth. I don't even know who the other uh, catcher in Pawtucket is right now. But is it Butler still? I, I thought it might have been, but I didn't want to say that because I wasn't sure. But, um, it is. It's Dan Butler. Yeah, you don't – want Dan Butler on the team. Like oh, yeah. if somebody if somebody gets hurt, if you DFA Leon and then somebody claims him and then Hannigan goes back in the DL or Vasquez gets hurt, you're stuck with Dan Butler on the roster. So preserve the depth for a little while. And on top of that hopefully you can get something going with Vasquez at the plate to make him at least mediocre. I mean, he's been so bad offensively where the defense doesn't really matter at this point. You need him to hit at least a little bit. So between keeping the depth and hopefully getting his bat a little bit back on track, um, I think it's definitely the right move. Speaking of depth, you have to go all the way down to high A to get a catcher in the organization that is younger than 27 outside of the catchers that we just mentioned. Like, we've got nothing in the upper minors for catching. Just not not a thing. Yeah, it's a... It's a really weak position right now. I don't even, I can't even, I mean, Austin Rye is probably the best catching prospect, right? Yeah, and he's all and, the way down in low A right now. Yeah, I'm not even a big fan of Rye. I mean, that's another topic for another day, but um, it, it's definitely a position of weakness in this system. So what about the possibility of Lucroy, though? It's a little bit pie in the sky, but the interesting thing about it is Lucroy is having one of his best seasons defensively he's off the charts the bat's awesome he's pretty much what i think even the rosiest expectations for blake swihart were for even people like me who just think the world of blake swihart as a prospect um and i don't think the price would be all that outrageous because i believe he's only got one more year control after this year um and then he becomes a free agent so there's really no guarantees Milwaukee is clearly a team rebuilding. And I was wondering, you know, if the Red Sox called up and said, hey, we'll give you Blake Swihart for Jonathan Lucroy, I think they'd do that in a second. What do you think about that? Uh, I think he's going to cost a lot. Um, I think almost every – it seems like almost every team in baseball right now needs a catcher. Um, catcher is really weak. And Lucroy, there's an argument that he's the second-best catcher in baseball. He's also incredibly cheap. He's uh, his contract this year is four million dollars. Next year is five point two five, which means that even the smallest market teams can be in on him. Um, and on top of that, they don't have to trade him this summer. They can wait until the off season when um, more teams might think of themselves as contenders and might think that they're a catcher away. Um, so I would check in on the price, but. I don't think that catcher should be a priority. Um, like I said, catcher is pretty bad everywhere, and you can deal with that later. I think the pitching is more important, and I think if you were to add a bat, I would probably add it to left field um, over catcher. And just, um, I think that their defense is fine back there with Hannigan and Vasquez, who will probably be back at some point when 
uh, Sandy Leon falls back to earth. So just keep the defense down there for now. Uh, find catching help in the offseason maybe or actually put Swihart at the position he should be at. But uh, figure that out later and worry about the other stuff. Like I said, check the price. If it's reasonable, go for it. But I don't think that should be a priority. I think you make a couple of good points. It's certainly – there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking for that. And I think that ups the price. I think in a vacuum, like trading a guy like Swihart, who's obviously got a lot of pedigree, for a guy like Lucroy probably works if you're in a trade machine. But people are going to be way overpaying for a guy like Lucroy. So that's probably – Way out of the cards. And I will say, I don't know if it's really overpaying. I mean, Luke Ray is really good. And um, yeah. everything about him, everything I've read about him um, says that he's a really good clubhouse guy and all that too, which adds to his value even a little bit more. So I don't want to undersell how good Luke Ray is. So let's say we leave that, that position as a black hole. And then the only black hole on the Red Sox after that so far has been left field. So if we address that, are you saying that, you don't see Holt as that long-term answer because since he's come back from the injury, it's only three games. I'm not including tonight's results because the game's still going on as we're recording this. But Holt has gone 5-13 and 13 since he's come back. Looks to have stabilized that position a little bit more. Do you really feel like adding that extra bat to left field is going to be something that puts the Red Sox in that much of a better position to make the playoffs? Um, so I don't think it's something that they have to do. I'll start off by saying that. But at the same time, um, I'm not sure Holt is going to keep this up. I think you can find a little more power to put there. And also, um, like I said with the pitching, somebody could get hurt, and then you need Holt to fill in. If somebody in the infield gets hurt, you'd rather have Holt slide over there and then have another outfielder to replace him. Um, so... Again, I think it's something that they should check up on, and I think that it would be really good for their depth so they don't have to rely on the Devin Moreros and the Marco Hernandezes in case of an injury. Um, but I don't think that they have to uh, go all in um, with their chips either. So you're saying you're not a big Ryan Lamar and Bryce Brents guy? <laughs> I mean, Ryan Lamar might be the third best pitcher on the team right now, so who knows? Pitcher? Did you not see that? He pitched the other night. He threw a scoreless <laughs> inning. Did he? Yeah, the night uh, oh, the night they got blown out, he was the only pitcher to not allow a run. Was that the Was that the same night I met you? Yeah, yeah, it was that night. Oh man, yeah, I must have missed that. I was <laughs> I was actually at the uh, Portland Sea Dogs game that night. So, um, wow, yeah, I totally missed that. <laughs> That's interesting. He can do it all. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, th- I think. There is a good argument to be made for ha- them having to make a move in left field because this Chris Young thing, it turns out the more we kind of learn about it, the more it seems like it could be an issue because he really hasn't done anything since he injured this thing and there's really no timetable for him coming back. With him not being there um, and with Holt, like you said, needing to fill in a number of positions, it just leaves them ridiculously thin should anything happen. So... Um. Yeah, I think their their hand is almost forced there, and I think if I had to rank him now at this point, you know, of all the needs that we've talked about, starting pitcher, relief pitcher, catcher, left field, I'd probably say starting pitcher number one, uh, catch uh left field number two, um, catcher, relief pitcher. I'd probably still go relief pitcher then catcher. I think that would be the fourth need for me. I might put a uh, relief pitcher above. 
left fielder, to be honest, just because, um, so I've been against Benintendi coming up all year. I never really thought it was realistic, but at this point, I'm thinking that if the asking price for the left fielders is too much, then you might just, um, call up Benintendi if Young's injury, uh, is worse than we thought and Holt is needed in the infield. So, um, I think that's another place where it would be really nice to find somebody and, I would rather keep Benintendi down all year, but if you need him and you can't find that left fielder for a reasonable price, then you just go with Benintendi. So let's talk Benintendi a little bit here. Um, he's obviously adjusted to double A right now. He's currently batting 284, 344, 488 uh, at the level, um, and he is just destroying the ball recently. He's batting like 324 over the last month. Um, when I was there at the game, uh, he had an incredible game. He had uh, a stand-up triple, um, and he also just walloped the pitch right over the right field wall, and it cleared it by a country mile. I mean, it was just a annihilated. A uh, few things that stood out to me um, were just how calm his swing was. His hands just don't really move. He's just he's got a real compact kind of swing. Uh, and just tremendous amount of power for a guy his size. I'm just really shocked at how quickly he's adapted to double A. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because of how he dominated the other levels, but it's just such a huge jump from A ball, uh, or high A, I should say, to double A that I thought that the struggles might last a little bit longer. But the bat is there right now, and if he does move up to triple A, I really don't see him having a trouble, ha- having much trouble um, with guys with a little bit more deception and maybe guys that throw a little bit more uh, in the way of breaking pitches. I think he's ready for it, and if another month rolls around and you do need him, um, I think he's better than a lot of the options that are out there on the free agent market. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the dude can hit. There's really no other way to put it. Um, he's, like I said, I don't think my... Plan A would be to rely on Benintendi uh, at the end of the year, but if it comes to that, I'm not overly worried. Um, over at uh, BP's main site today, they had a, a ten pack of prospect stuff, and one of them was on Benintendi, and I thought it was a really interesting way to describe him. Um, Jarrett Seidler is one of the prospect writers writers over there, and um, he said he watches enough games where you know where the ball should go. Uh, just given how everybody's going on the field and how the noise it makes off the bat and all that. And everything that Benintendi makes contact with goes further than he thought. So if he (laughs) thought it was a medium deep fly ball, it was way over the fence. If he thought it was a pop up to the infield, it was a medium deep fly ball. And um, I've seen Benintendi a lot. I think that's a really interesting way to describe it. He does have really deceptive power, especially given his size. And um, he, he knows what he's doing at the plate, which is really impressive for somebody who has such little professional experience. Um, he's probably going to struggle when he first comes up to the majors. Most people do, but he strikes me as a guy that'll figure it out pretty quickly. And even if he's not a star, I'm pretty certain he can be a productive major league player um, within a couple months of being called up. You know, there are a lot of things about Ben Benintendi that remind me of Mookie Betts when he's coming up. Um, Not just the size, but, you know, the strikeout-to-walk ratio that these guys have. I mean, they both posted 
uh, walk rates that were better than their strikeout rates for uh, a few levels. Um, both of them made deceptively hard contact for smaller guys. Both play a great outfield. I think there's a lot of similarities to be drawn between those two players. Um, I do think he will adapt very quickly. I agree with you there. The one concern I have about him, and I'm not a scout at all, so don't you know hold me to this or anything, but um, it does look like his swing can get a little long at times, and I wonder if he'll have trouble catching up to elite velocity uh, pitched inside to him. But I think that's an adjustment that he can make as well. So until we have evidence that he can't succeed with stuff like that, you could probably just assume that he's going to figure it out. Yeah, definitely. And um, I will say that um, as many reminder or as many uh, similarities you might have to Betts, um, he's not the same kind of player. He's not exactly as athletic, and I don't think the defensive profile is as exciting. But um, you also don't really need that if he's going to be in left field, given Betts and Bradley are already in the majors. So uh, he's still really good. I just don't want to uh, put the Betts comp on him too quickly. Yeah, it's a it's an aggressive comp. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely sure. Um, but you know the other guy, you know that I saw this weekend while I was up there. Obviously, I saw Dubon and Yohan Moncada as well. But Moncada was as good as advertised. Um, just incredible. Uh, another, you know, in in Spears write up, he kind of consolidated um, the the stats that he had over the weekend, and he went six for fifteen over this weekend. With two homers, a triple, two doubles, two steals, a walk, and just three strikeouts. Um, he's crushed it since he got up to double A. There's been absolutely no ill effects at all. Um, so that stuff's all amazing. You can check out a video on my Twitter of him hitting a triple. Um, I really think if he pushed for it, it probably could have been an inside-the-park home run with his speed as well. Um he makes contact on everything. He seems to have a tremendous ability to lay off of pitches, which I just I just didn't think that he would be that advanced at the plate right now. But he really does spit on anything that's even a little bit outside of the zone. Um, and defensively, he just looks awesome over there. And um, I saw him make a really difficult play behind the bag at second base. He kind of ranged to his right, caught the ball, and just barely winged it over to the first base like, really no effort at all it just makes me think that this arm could be an absolute cannon total asset at third base and looking at his body i mean he he looked different than every single person out on the field even guys like david Dahl, who were on that field who's a tremendously athletic guy playing right field um for for uh the the yard goats and colorado's organization he just doesn't look even close to the physical specimen that moncada is and I think he could develop into like a 20, 25 home run, you know, 25, 30 stolen base guy uh, at third base with plus defense. I really think that's a possibility. Yeah, Mankata is really exciting. Um, I wasn't as excited about him until I saw him. Um, and I saw him about 10 days ago. And he just doesn't look like a baseball player. No. He, he's an absolute freak of a human being. He is completely jacked, and he doesn't look like he should be um, too fast, but he is one of the fastest baseball players I've ever seen in person. Um, and like I agree with you with the, on the power. Um, I saw him take 
um, a mid nineties or low nineties fastball, uh, the opposite way for a home run in the game that I saw. And selfishly, I hope that he, uh, stays in Portland for a long time because did Sandy Leon just get hurt? Sorry. <laughs> I think Sandy Leon just got hurt. Uh, but yeah, I hope Mankata stays in Portland for a long time just because I want to see him a lot, but I have a feeling that eventually pretty soon that they're going to change him over to third base. And then once he gets that down, he'll go to AAA and he'll finish the year there and then start next year, maybe in the majors. He has to be as close a uh, thing to untouchable as there is on this roster. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about the four guys on the roster who are all-star starters right now, I think that, he might be the next most untouchable guy on the Red Sox roster at this point. Um, in terms of trade value, I might put him number three. Even above Bradley, Brad, right? I think I might. Yeah, and I'm, that I'm might right there. Be, I'm totally willing to say that this is um, this might be prospect hugging or some recency bias because I just saw him, but um, he he just has me really excited. Um, I know I wouldn't say that I would never trade him. Obviously, you don't know. I mean, if somebody like Chris Sale became available, then obviously you have to start talking. But um, there aren't many players in the league that I would trade Mikado for right now. Yeah, I think that if Dombrowski was asked, you know, which one of these guys you got to get rid of, Bradley or Mankata, it's probably Bradley over him at this point. It, it, there's at least at least in the offseason, maybe, maybe in the offseason. I don't think he would. I mean, I don't think there's any way you trade Bradley right now in the middle of a uh, contending, but when everything's even in the offseason, I think I would agree. Yeah, just theoretical trade value. He's just such a rare dude. I, I just can't believe how many of these things worked out. Like, as many things didn't work out for Rusni Castillo have worked out for Yohan Moncada at this point. So, obviously, he's yet to play a game in the major leagues, but this guy looks like as much of a sure thing as there is. And I am just drooling over a potential infield of Moncada, uh, Bogarts, Pedroia, and then, you know, good Hanley at first base. Uh, probably I, Shaw, right? Could, could be Shaw. Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, probably Shaw at this point because he'll, he won't be up till next year. Then Hanley moves to the DH spot vacated by Ortiz. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. That's that's a pretty ridiculous infield. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot can happen between now and the beginning of next season. and We don't know exactly what the roster's going to look like, but theoretically that would be pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be bad if they got Goldschmidt somehow. Too. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess I'd be all right with that. Yeah, pie in the sky. Um, so, you know, uh, the other guy who just had an incredible weekend and now is really turning it on is Rafael Devers, and I think... One, you talk about trades, especially for impact guys like Sonny Gray or uh, Julio Tehran. Deaver's name keeps coming up because he did have a really slow start to the season. Uh, he's been absolutely on fire lately. Um, he's still only 19 years old. He's got his season average up to 251 at this point. Um, he went 8 for 14 over the weekend. Um, guy's still an awesome player, and I want to just remind everybody just – how much of a loss it would be to the organization if you do trade a guy like this. So um, don't think like, oh, he's just been hitting 250. No, he's hitting 250 with a ton of power uh, as a 19-year-old. So um, he still could go, but if he does go, the piece coming back here is going to be a pretty big deal. 
yeah, um, I would agree that he's the most likely to be traded. And um, honestly, I kind of hope he's traded, not because I don't think he's good. I think he's a really good hitter, but I think that they have to give up one of those four guys to get a starting pitcher who's going to make an impact in this rotation. And I don't want to trade Mankata or Espinosa just because there's a clear role for them waiting for them pretty right. soon. Um, and Espinosa is a guy that I'm not against trading because he's a young pitcher and young pitchers have a way of kind of blowing, blowing their arms out. But at the same time, he's a dynamic talent and it's just really hard to value those kind of guys. And I could very easily see other teams not valuing him as highly as we might like. So I think, I think Devers is, he doesn't have a clear spot on a future roster. He's kind of the same position as Mankata, assuming Mankata moves to third base. And, right. But he's a good enough hitter where he could bring out back a good enough piece. So um, he's also a guy I've never seen before, which um, once I see a guy, I kind of fall in love with them. So I will admit that bias, but um, I, th- I just think that he makes the most sense to trade. I would agree with you. I mean... I still have doubts as to how long he's going to stay at third base. He seems to be doing okay there. He's never going to be a plus third baseman. But if he does move over to first base, that bat could, you know, not be quite as special, at which point his value would be lower than it is right now. So I think you're right. If there is a time to trade him, it's probably now when the need in the pitching staff is as great as it is. And if he was the centerpiece around a deal for a guy like Sonny Gray – um, I don't think we'd have too many complaints about that. So, um, and I just want to remind you too, man. You've you've got it all all set up there in Portland because regardless of what happens with Benintendi and Mokata moving up, your boyfriend Mauricio Dubon will still be there. Yeah, except the one game I've been to this year, he sat. It was his second day with the team, and they sat him. I oh, I saw. I understand how that happened. He looked good. He looked real good. Yeah, I was pretty upset. <laughs> I'm All just right. kidding. He didn't look that good. He he didn't look that good at the plate, and he did make an error. But you know what? That's he's, your, right. he's your boy, so yeah. I forgive him. That's good. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the upcoming schedule. We're going to get close to wrapping this thing up. Um, we've got the Texas series right now uh, finishing up. The price start is tonight, as we mentioned. Um, do you have a score on that right now? Uh, they're losing 3-2 to two in, I believe, the bottom of the sixth. All right. Well, interesting. Interesting enough that, you know, that whole thing's still going on, so we don't know the result. But after today, uh, there is one more game. There's Stephen Wright versus Martin Perez. Um, then they have an off day, and then they finish up with uh, a series against Tampa Bay at home uh, with O'Sullivan versus Archer, Porcello versus Moore. Price versus Odorizzi, and then there's four days off for the All-Star break for the Red Sox. So there's going to be a little reprieve, a little uh, time for the Red Sox to uh, rest some of those overused bullpen arms and, uh, you know, just do a little bit of soul-searching and a lot of homework on Dave Dombrowski's part. So I think that uh, once the Red Sox get back from this, there's probably going to be a little bit more clarity about the direction of the organization uh, for this year, and uh, then it's going to be right in the heart of trade season. So it's going to get real interesting real fast. I can't wait till August. Um, I honestly hate trade season. 
just because everybody wants you to come up with trade packages for whoever's available. And I get like anxiety trying to think of trade fair trade packages. And <laughs> I, I just hate this time of year. I just want to know what the team's going to look like in August. And then August through the rest of the year is going to be a lot of fun. But July is just kind of stressful. July is a complete crapshoot, but you know that there is no such thing as a fair trade proposal anymore because every time you think that you have figured out something that makes total sense for both teams, like something nuts happens. And I'll use the NHL as an example. Like all of the trades that recently happened in the NHL, and I know it's a different sport and they haven't quite caught on to analytics in the same way as baseball, but like the PK Subban trade, to, to the Nashville Predators for Shea Weber, I mean, if you put that in a trade machine, it would get rejected 100 yeah. times out of 100. You just have no idea. And teams that are prone to doing things like that, Arizona Diamondbacks comes to mind. I mean, there are a number of teams that might make just batshit crazy trades over the yeah, next I mean, month. So we don't know what's going to happen. If you had written an article last winter proposing that um, – if you were a Braves writer proposing that Shelby Miller deal, you would have been laughed off the internet, called a homer, oh, and all that. Oh, totally. And it's just, you can't win when you make a uh, trade proposal. I've literally never seen somebody say, oh, well, that's a good that's a good idea. I think that's good for both teams. It's <laughs> just, I just hate it so much. Yep, sit back in your armchair and just laugh maniacally at uh, what ensues over the next few weeks, because you know it's going to be entertaining, and... Might break your heart, might make you really happy, but uh, you know it's going to happen nonetheless. The time. It should also be noted that we have no. We're all gonna, myself included, we're all gonna judge all these trades that happen. We have no idea. Just I always look back at that James Shields and Will Myers trade, and Wade Davis ended up being the biggest piece in that deal. So we have no idea what we're talking about. That's absolutely right. We are analysts, not experts, and we are not Nostradamus. We don't know anything, and. Uh, we're glad that you like us not knowing anything. So, um, so Matt, uh, that about does it for the show. Anything else you want to add before we go ahead and log off here? Um, no, I think that's about it. Just uh, Sandy Leone is still in the game, so you all know this that I listen to it right now, but I was a little worried for a second, but it's all good now. Crisis averted. Well, <laughs> exactly. Matt, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, again, you can follow Matt at, on Twitter at, at RedSox underscore thoughts. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Devereaux. You can follow me at, at DevJake. Um, and please feel free to log on to uh, iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. You can go ahead and rate and review our podcast there. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, uh, which is also a really cool site. So check that out as well. And... Uh, once again, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully the pitching gets better. <laughs>